Well, aren't you glad that you are here today? And uh, I expected a little bit of overflowing crowd as we continue on on this subject. And chapter 4 of Song of Solomon, where we're at today, is one of the most intimate sections uh, in the entire Bible. But I want to let you know that it's really not dirty. It's not inappropriate. There are no 50 shades of anything in the, in the, the passage today. And we're going to keep it, I would say, PG, even though what is PG or PG-13 or R is all convoluted. I don't even know how to define that anymore. And that's why I'm so glad that this chapter we're going to dive into is in here. Because our society, you may have noticed, spends so much time, it feels like, almost worshiping the sexual. You may have noticed that we live in sort of a sex-saturated culture. I mean, it's everywhere that you look, there's that. I mean, it's 24-7 billboards. I'm literally at a coffee shop this week. I'm downtown. I'm at Public Us, which hipsters like me hang out at Public Us. If you don't know where Public Us is, then... You're not a hipster, so there you go. And I'm sitting down there, and I'm in the window, and I've got my laptop, and I'm thinking about today, and I'm prepping for today. And as, I'm, as I look out the window pondering, this bus, city bus, you may have seen this, stops at the, the light. And on the side of the bus is this, is this sign, syphilis is serious. I'm like, well, I agree with that, but I'm not sure I need to see that. But I thought it just reinforces the point. Now, that may be a little stunning to some of us, but the messages that we're getting out there are really harmful. They are really, in so many cases, confusing, which makes it more important for us to have this conversation, for us to have a conversation around it, because there is a need for hope, there is a need for healing. And there is a need for help. And sometimes we don't expect in this particular area to look to the Bible for help. And a lot of us, we definitely don't expect to come to church and to find it there. But we actually can. But let me give you a warning. Over the next few minutes, there may be moments where you get a little uncomfortable. And that's okay um, for obvious reasons. So let me help you. Let me give you one thought that will help you. Just, Just think, at least I'm not Lee standing up there, right? And his adult kids are watching online, hello, talking about this subject. So every time you feel uncomfortable, just remind yourself with that pretty thought and we'll we'll be fine. If you haven't been here for a while, right, you have picked a great day to make an appearance. We are in the middle of a series that we call Explicit Lyrics. And we've been looking at the Song of Solomon or what you may know, what may be known as the Song of Songs, because that's really what it is. This book is really a collection of songs and, or you might say poems, which were written by a married couple much later in their life where they described the good, the bad, and the ugly of their relationships. And we've been discovering some real practical insights that can totally apply to our lives no matter what your relational status might be right now at this moment. In week number one, if you were here, we talked about the art of attraction and how healthy attraction is not just a physical thing, but we, but we also, we also includes the emotional and the spiritual connection. And this understanding helps us navigate discovering the right and the correct and the godly relationship for us. And then last week, Shane unpacked this process of dating and discovery. And we looked at the truth that what we practice during this season of our lives is what will become permanent in our long-term relationships. What we practice is what becomes permanent. And what we've discovered in reading Song of Solomon is this is a real couple. I mean, it's about to get real today. This is a real couple. They had real joys and pains and issues. They got real morning breath. 
the weirdness of their personality and the normal bumps in the road that any couple must navigate, they had them. And since we've been showing pictures throughout this series, let me give this picture of my wife and I. This is almost 28 years ago. Now, she hasn't changed a bit. I've changed slightly, all right? <laughs> And we were looking at this pic as we were getting it ready for today. And it was so funny because I laughed at it because I'm thinking, here's this couple. They're in the car. They're getting ready to go off into their honeymoon in their life. And we had no clue what we were doing, right? I sit in my office sometimes. I have couples. And they're lovely. They come in. They want counseling. I'm going to marry them. And sometimes they get like 19, 20, 21-year-olds. And they're just so cute. They're just sitting like, we're so excited. We've been on Pinterest. We're going to have this amazing wedding. I'm just like, oh, God, help us. Like, oh, God, right? Because you remember what it's like when you get married, especially if you got married young, right? You just, you just had this idea of what it was all going to be about, and, and you're there. And we're in the trunk. I was thinking about in the trunk of the car, we had our bags because we're going on our honeymoon, and we're going to spend this week together. But what we didn't realize at the time is that we had some other baggage as well, right? Because when you get into a relationship, when you get married, you bring baggage, right? Now... Some of it is, is normal life baggage, right? You just, you, whatever life experience you brought, and that's cool, and that's expected. But then there's some other stuff that's maybe a little heavier. Maybe you bring the baggage of the home that you grew up in. Maybe the mom and dad and the way that they communicated is different than your spouse, and so that's some baggage. Maybe it's really heavy. Maybe you bring baggage of pain. Like in your life, you've experienced some abuse. Or maybe some relationships that were not healthy. Or maybe you've come off the death of a spouse or a divorce, unfortunately. And now you're in this new relationship. And so when you get in that car to drive away, you put that baggage in there. And it comes along with you. Some of us, in our bag, we have expectations that are unrealistic. We get in the car. We head for our honeymoon in this new life of bliss. And we have these unrealistic expectations. Not to mention that in our bags is the reality that men and women are wired differently. Maybe you figured that out. We communicate differently. We see things differently. We receive and we give love differently. And all of this baggage can actually impact this physical intimacy and that part of our relationship. I mean, when that's working, it's awesome, right? But when it's not, when it's broken, if something's not working right, it can be pretty painful, and we can feel stuck. Now, some of the baggage that we carry into the physical intimacy part of our relationship is some myths that are out there, both in the culture but also in the church, right? How many of you grew up in church, like you went to church as a young person? Maybe you went to camp, like, like we were talking about, all right? Well, in the church, we have myths about sex as well. This is one of my favorites if you grew up in church. This is myth number one. Sex is evil. We don't talk about sex. And when we do talk about it, we merely say, stay away, stay away, stay away, right? And so as a young person, you're taught that sex is dirty, right? It's icky. But you get married, and in like one minute, it's awesome, right? So you go from this, from this prude to this person of passion. That's what we're taught, that it's just going to work instantaneously like that, right? And so... We use the myth of sex is evil, especially within the church, to kind of defer people and get them away from it. But here's the truth. God created sex. God had an intention for this part of our lives. And with, as, as with everything, what he creates is good, right? But then it gets perverted. And we live in a world where that's taken place, and that needs to change. That that perversion needs to change. That God's way, in the original created way, is the best way. 
So that's myth number one. Here's myth number two. Some of you are going to nod your head. Marriage is where sex goes to die, right? Some of you dudes are like, that ain't no myth, fool. That's true, right? Like that's, that's the way it is, right? We've been taught that when you get married, all that passion goes away, right? It all goes away. The rush of sex dies. It's only one person, right? You can be married to that person forever, right? But that's actually a lie. I mean, even if we looked at sociologists, they've scientifically proven that this is a lie. But let's just look at what God says. God has some awesome principles that we're going to learn, and he wants to remind us and show us that will give single people hope. And married people, maybe a little fire back in the bedroom, all right? Here's myth number three, all right? Myth number three says sex is just physical. You can even substitute that word physical and use the word casual, right? That's a myth that we're taught, all right? We're taught that if nobody gets hurt, we use this word in our culture, if it's consensual, right, then it's cool. It's all right. Nobody transmits anything, then let's just have a good time. It's right up there with a round of golf or some flag football. It's just physical. Actually, it's more like tackle football where you stay on the ground as long as you can, but it's there. It's physical. And if you're just physical, then there's no harm done. When it's over, you just move on, have a great time, and then say, who's got next? Because it's just physical, right? It's just physical. But God says this, and I want you to catch this because we're going to move on and and you're going to forget this, but if you don't... If you don't see this umbrella that goes over all of our conversation, everything that I say, you're going to probably be more likely to dismiss if you don't get this next statement that I'm going to make, all right? It's this. is Sexuality is connected by God to your personhood, to your soul. It's deep within you. It's not just a physical action. It's something that happens within you. It's much deeper than that. And God's plan is this, that we would experience a great and lasting, loving relationship where you find and you keep and you cultivate love, and sex is an amazing part of that. And everybody's like, I'm for that. So we're going to jump into Song of Solomon, chapter 4, right now, which plays out what what God's... God's plan for intimacy really looks like. So as you find it, get on your app, all right? Get on your, whatever you need to do, you need to read these words, all right? Some of you are gonna wanna bookmark these words, all right? Get to Song of Solomon chapter four. As we meet, I wanna remind you of the ground rules for this series that we've been talking about, especially important today. Ground rule number one, listen for yourself, not for someone else, okay? So if something applies across the room, don't stand up like, you over there, right? Or the person sitting next to you, try not to do that, all right? And then this is really important, ground rule number two. We are not looking backwards. We are not looking backwards. We are looking ahead. We're crazy enough to believe that Jesus can actually make all things new. So if you're uncomfortable right now, not because of the content, but because of how this content has and is playing out in your life, I want you to hang in there. Because we believe that we don't have to look backwards, that we can look forwards and that God, forward and that God can make all things new. So in verse 1, we pick it up. And our couple, they are at the four seasons on their honeymoon. Some of you are like, I was at the Motel 6. But they're at the four seasons, all right? They're there. It's their wedding night. And he is speaking now, which is important. Because in the Song of Solomon, actually, she speaks 75% of the time. I'll just let that lay there for a minute, all right? Seriously. She speaks 75% of the time, all right? When he begins to speak right now, we're going to read the next 11 verses. And what's important for you guys to hear is that he's going to speak for 11 verses before he even touches her. 
before he t- even touches her. Men, you might want to write that down. That will help you, all right? Here we go. Verse number one, it says this. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Basically, he's going to begin to describe her, and he's going to describe her from the top of her head down, all right? He's going to start at the top of her body. And he begins with her eyes. He says, your eyes behind your veil are doves. Keeping in mind that he had not really laid eyes on her probably before in this culture, that the veil would have been there. So as he lifts the veil or she lifts the veil, they make eye contact. They, put, they lay eyes on each other for the very first time. And he's like, whoa, what? Right? And then he goes on and he says this. You're, go back, go back, go back, go back. He says, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Okay, guys, don't, don't use this line, right? Not good. But it's important to understand because this was the imagery that he had. Of You know, he stood off in the distance and he would see these black, these black goats going down the hill and kind of remind him. But what was happening was women in that culture would, would wear their hair up. And so now she's taken that out of her hair, and I'll demonstrate for you. She's kind of done this thing, right? And she's there, and she lets her hair come down, and he's, again, he's like blown away. Basically, she is undressing in front of him in the Bible, okay? So you're like, I need to read the Bible more. Yes, you do, all right? She's undressing in front of him. That's the picture, all right? Relax. Next verse. He's moving down, all right? He says, your teeth, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. He's saying, your breath smells good. Your teeth are white and they're all there. It's a good thing, right? They're all there. Each one of them is not alone. She's not a hockey player. He's thrilled with this. So he's moving his way down, all right? Your lips, he says next. He says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Again, he's describing her, right? Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. And now he's down to her neck. And so he says, your neck, it's like the Tower of David. Built built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields. All of them, shields of warriors. Like, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you what that means. He's saying, the way you carry yourself is just amazing. right? Like, I think my wife is hot. But you know what makes her hot is when she walks into a room and she just carries herself with confidence. She's just, she's just polished and she's confident. That's what he's saying to her. It's like, you look amazing, but you also carry yourself in an amazing way. Now remember, way back in the first, the first chapter, when she describes herself, she doesn't think that highly of herself, right? She said, my skin is dark and it's, and it's like leather because my brothers made me work out in the fields. And so she doesn't think that she is very attractive. And he comes along and lets her know, before I even touch you, let me tell you what I see. He was demonstrating something we all need to understand, and that is this, is that godly sex is affirming, okay? It begins, it begins with affirmation. Before it ever gets physical, it should be affirming. Before there was physical intimacy, there was an emotional intimacy being built. God-honored lovemaking starts long before the bedroom, and words are important. It's amazing how my wife can recall conversations and specific words I used in a stupid moment 10 years ago. I mean, when she gets hysterical, she gets historical. So when we're like in a fight, she'll just like say, you said this. I'm like, what? Like, I, I can't even remember that. But that's how powerful words are. Your words, the Bible says, bring life. 
They have the ability to bring life, and they also have the ability to bring death. Your spouse needs affirmation. Women in who she is. Men, a lot of times, in what he does. I read a lot of scientific articles this week in preparation for today, and here's what I discovered about what gets a man in the mood versus what gets a woman in the mood. Here's the finding. Men, take note. Ready? To put women in the mood, you need to praise, pamper, compliment, cuddle, charm, listen, understand, brag on, cry with, cheer on, serve, sacrifice, dishes, laundry, wash car, vacuum, clean, and cure cancer. Then repeat twice, all right? Affirm, affirm, affirm. To put men in the mood, just show up naked. That's what it says. (laughs) Boom, done, all right? That's the power of affirmation. I mean, sometimes I look at my wife and I'm like, can we just cuddle tonight? I mean, sometimes I just feel like a piece of meat to you. Can we just like be together? Said no man ever, all right, no man ever. Solomon knew that what God is trying to tell us is that sex was designed to be more than physical. Some of you are way too focused on the physical and you need to start with this. How do I affirm and build up? Look at how Solomon honors his bride in what we just read, how he compliments her, how he builds her up and pays careful attention to her. In my own life, it's what I call the hello principle, right? You're like, really? Like, this is so simple and so easy, but it's awesome. What I would do is sometimes just randomly throughout the day, I'll just text my wife one word. I'll just say hello. And then she'll text me back, hello. And sometimes she'll put a bitmoji, like something cool, right? You say, well, I don't get that. Well, what that is is I'm in the middle of my day. I'm doing whatever the heck I'm doing, and she knows that I just stop, and I'm thinking about her, and I send that one word as a code to say, I'm thinking about you. I'm sitting in this meeting, but I'm thinking about you. Hello. Some of you dudes, are you hearing me right now? Like, if you would just stop and send the word hello this week, you get home, and it'll be like, hello, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, that's dumb. Yeah, it's dumb, all right. Sleep on the couch again, right? (laughs) But it's the idea, whatever it is for you, of affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. That's where it begins. And he goes on. It's going to get really interesting. He says this, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now, what was Solomon saying? Come on. If you're approaching two fawns, dudes, guys, you, you, if you're approaching them, you're going to be gentle. You're going to be tender and caring. If you just come diving in there, you see the fawns, they're no longer going to be browsing among the lilies, all right? That's not going to be happening anymore. They're going to be fleeing the forest. They will run away, right? Isn't the Bible awesome? Well, here's the deal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying godly sex is affirming, but it's also tender. It's tender that she or he is not just an object to be used for your personal use, for your personal passion or fantasies. I mean, women, they desire this tenderness. Men, they desire responsiveness that's tender. Remember, when it comes to sex, men are microwaves, women are crockpots, right? (laughs) They say say that it's physically possible for a man to be ready to have sex in less than seven seconds. I mean, count to seven, seriously? (laughs) And women are like, no. You better light a candle, put on some music, take a shower, foo, all right? Take a shower, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. 
Because women are interested in the journey. Men are more interested in the destination. Men are motivated by what they see. That's how we're wired differently, right? That's the baggage we bring. Women are really motivated by what they hear. Because I have a gift. I can turn any comment into a sexual comment. If my wife says to you, says to me, hey, can you help me fold the laundry? I'll be like, I'll fold your laundry, you know? <laughs> what does that mean? She'll say, pass the salt and pepper. I'll pass your salt and pepper. Like, it makes no sense, right? How many guys you say that, right? We're good at that, right? Because everything's like that. But that's not tender. My wife's never looked at me like, oh, really? Cool. She's like. <laughs> and Solomon's talking about being tender, going slow, affirming and tenderness, not doing anything that makes her feel cheapened or makes her feel like an object. People ask us sometimes, and it's true, they say, well, what's appropriate within the marriage relationship? What's appropriate is what she thinks is appropriate. Right? What she thinks does not objectify or does not move outside of where she is comfortable. And he continues, little Lionel Richie here, says, until the day breaks, all night long, right? That's what he's saying. Till the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountains of myrrh and to the hills of incense. He's being romantic. And what we see is godly sex is passionate. There's some passion there, right? He's in it for the long haul. So many people think that if I really go after God, especially in this area, if I really follow God's plan for sexuality in my life, I'm going to be bored. And guess what happens if we believe that? Then we start leaning into counterfeits that are out there. All the counterfeits become more attractive to us, and they will destroy our lives. And God wants you to have a life that is to the full, especially in this area of sexual intimacy. But passion takes effort. It's not automatic. You say, well, we're not in love anymore. You start thinking and looking, and the grass is greener somewhere else. No, the grass is greener where you water it. So water it. It takes effort. Anything that you do that matters takes effort. I run. I got into running, right? People come up to me and say, ah, I'm going to start running. I'm like, no, you, no, you're not. You're not. It sounds good, right? But most of you hate running. You don't want to do that effort, and that's cool. Don't do it. But this sort of thing in our life takes effort when we want to have passion. It takes effort because it's work. Intimacy involves intentionality. Some of us were very intimate. Some of us were very intimate when we started to find the right person, when we were looking for the right person. We pursued them. We captured the heart of that person. And then we stopped. We stopped, and we wonder what happened. Well, intimacy involves intentionality. You stop pursuing. You stop being intentional. Maybe some flowers. Maybe a note sometimes. She might pass out, guys. Maybe a date night out regularly, right? Well, we got one coming up that we put together for you coming out of the series in May, right? It's right here on our campus. It's easy. There's like taking care of it. It's 30 bucks. Like 30 bucks. It's Chipotle for two. Just come. It's 30 bucks. And some of you right now, you know what the problem is with the romance in your marriage? You're thinking of all the reasons why you can't come to this right now. You're looking at your right? That's the problem, right? Because you have to be intentional. There has to be effort in order for us to have the godly sex that is passionate in our lives. And men, you should take the lead with this. But ladies, you don't get a pass. There's an effort on your part that has to happen. You come to bed in that space suit with the blinking sign that says, no trespassing, right? <laughs> Some of you have those pajamas. You've had them for like 14 years. They're like four inches thick. You're like, it's comfortable. Dude, I could put like a sonar radar next to that thing and not see through it, all right? 
a flare. Burn those pajamas and maybe you'll turn the fire on in your relationship. Romance takes effort to keep it alive. If not, as I said, you will find a counterfeit. Lady, ladies, that guy in the office that pays attention to you, that sits by you at lunch, that says nice things to you, he's affirming and he's tender, that counterfeit will, will start to speak to you. Guys, the images you can see as easy on the device that you hold in your hand will become a counterfeit to the passion and the tenderness and the romance that God intends for you to have. It's easy. It doesn't take effort. You don't have to work that hard, but don't settle for the substitute. Then he tells her this. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. He decides another no, this. You are valued for who you are. He basically says this. You are the new standard. You are it. That's why pornography is so destructive, you guys. You think you're not hurting anyone. It's just me. I'm just looking at it. But what's happening is your mind is now changing the standard to that. It's changing it to something your wife or your husband could never step up to. Instead, if you stay off of that and stop looking to them as the standard, make your spouse the ultimate standard, then you just go, she's the standard. He's the standard. The rest of you, you're just trying to catch up. I got the standard right here. They rock. You do that and things are going to get past in it. Because he's saying this, godly sex is secure. It's affirming. It's tender. It's passionate. But it's secure. It's not competing. It's not competing no matter what happens in your life because you're together. You've made a covenant. You've made a commitment. You realize this, that when you get married, that picture I put up earlier, that's about as good as it's going to get physically, how you look, right? You realize that. Some of you look pretty good, but over time, gravity takes over. You're not the same at 45 or 55 as you were at 25. It's just the way it is. Mr. Incredible starts to look like the Incredible Hulk. It's all right. The twin fawns become the twin falls, ladies. We understand, all right? It's all right. It happens. And we're going to start to feel insecure over time. We are. We're going to get stretch marks, love handles, but we should always respect and honor our spouse's body. There is no flaw in you. No flaw in you. And that security is built by absolute trust. Think about it this way. All of us have different needs. Emotional needs, spiritual needs, physical and sexual needs. And you, you as the spouse, are the only legitimate outlet to meet those sexual needs. Hold that for a second. You as the spouse are the only legitimate outlet to meet those sexual needs. So if you start to pull back and distance yourself from your spouse, you no long, they no longer have that God-honoring outlet for that need to be met. But when you begin to lay yourself down and you begin to meet the emotional needs or the spiritual needs and even the physical needs of your spouse as a way of honoring them, making them feel secure, understanding there is trust, even if you don't necessarily feel like it all the time, you give yourself to them and you pour gasoline on the flame of security, they will fill and suddenly your love grows and grows and grows and you're not self-centered anymore you are others centered because godly sex is secure and then we land it here here we go says this you are a garden fountain he's still speaking a well of flowing water streaming down from lebanon and now she begins to talk all right (laughs) tighten the seatbelt for a second all right because here we go she says this awake north wind and come south wind I can't even read this. <laughs> I've been reading it all day, and every time I'm like, no, here it is. <laughs> Blow on my garden 
that its fragments may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I'll just let that sit for a second. You do what you need to do with that. What is God doing here? He is painting an intense picture. This isn't me. This is the Bible. It's in there. You've been carrying it around with you all this time. It's in there. This is this intense picture of intimacy behind closed doors in a married relationship that is unbelievable. And we are seeing passion at a level that way too many of us, way too many people are never experiencing. And God wants to bring you to that level as well. Listen, God's way isn't just right. It is better. It's better. Because godly sex is holy. It's holy. You say, man, I've never heard that word used in this context but it's true, right? It's true. It's not casual. It's part of a covenant. When we take communion in just a few moments, every time we do that, what are we doing? We're remembering a covenant, right? The bread, his body that was broken, the juice, his blood that was spilled. It's a covenant. It's the same way when you get married. When you get married and you stand in front of your friends and family and you, you make a covenant, and yeah, there's something legal that goes on there, but there's something bigger that goes on that's a covenant before you, the other person, and God. So when we say we are having intimacy within marriage, there is definitely something holy that is there that begins to happen. So that's why language like that can be used to talk about this part of their lives. Now, some of you are thinking after listening to this over the last few minutes, I don't feel any better than when I came in here. I don't feel very holy right now. I could never live up to this. I have way too much baggage in this area of my life. This could actually never be true for me, but it can. You absolutely can have a holy sex life. Holiness is not people who are perfect. It is people who have been redeemed. And it goes back to this. It goes back to this baggage. Some of us, many of us, when it comes to this subject, you carried this baggage in here. You listened for the last few minutes holding on to that baggage. And it's really tough because it's not something... This conversation is not something that we bring out in the open. It's not coffee shop kind of conversation around this. But we need, to, we need to deal with it because God can make it holy. Some of you, you've been violated or you've been abused. And so when you hear this topic, that's immediately where you go to. We have a whole generation of broken people as we're seeing over and over again every day, especially ladies who have tucked it in and hoped that it would go away. Listen, ladies, especially you're valued. We want you to know that you are so welcomed here. And what happened to you was not God's intention for you in this area of your life. We want to come alongside you as much as we can. As a church, as a community, we love you. The process of healing and hope that Jesus can do in your life. We don't want you to ever leave here feeling condemned we want you to know that God's best is possible for you. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. Maybe you need counseling. We're here to do that. You can easily step into our prayer room or you can indicate on a card or, or find one of our pastors. We would love to, to connect you with someone who can walk you through that because that's not God's intention for your life. Some of you, that's not you, but you are living outside of God's plan in this part of your life. It's been hard for you to listen to this. And maybe, and let me tell you a little bit what's going on right now. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of guilt. Maybe you're disengaging. Maybe you're angry at me. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of regret. Some of you are sitting next to your boyfriend or your girlfriend right now, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we're like two rabbits in springtime going after it all the time. Right? That doesn't sound like it's right. Some of you, you're married, 
And you can circle dates on your calendar the last time you had intimacy. It's like 2015. You're like, that's not right either. That's not what God's intention was for you. And that needs to change beginning today. Because remember, we said God can make things new. God can make things new. But what makes things holy? You and I? Absolutely not. We do not have the ability to make ourselves holy. It's only when Christ touches something that it becomes that. It's only when we're touched by the power of God that we can be holy. So I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what's on your mind right now. You can be touched by the presence of God, and he can make you holy again. And I don't care what the world says or what everybody else is doing. Listen, young person, single adult in this room, I know. I know what you're thinking. Like, Lee, you are, you, are, you are talking about something. That ship has sailed. That's ancient thinking when it comes to this. Okay, maybe. But that script that the world's living out and that script that the world's giving to you doesn't seem to be working out so well. Bouncing from relationship to relationship and escapade to escapade. Why don't we try it God's way for a while? We pull back and put the kind of tenderness and affirmation and put the kind of covenant around that God intends for us and begin to live that way. Why don't we give that a whirl? Because that that's what God teaches us. And I want, before we take communion, just a moment, I want you to just ponder two moves, two applications from today that I want to encourage you in this. And number one is this, that we believe all things can be new. So wherever you're sitting today, wherever you're listening or watching, that whatever circumstances you bring to this subject, that all things can be new. We believe God has the power to change your life. We believe that when someone comes to Christ, we watch somebody get baptized today, that the old has gone and the new has come. And you say, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I know what God has done. And I know that there can be a newness in your life, even in this area of sexuality. So I want to challenge you today in just a moment. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to challenge you to steal my words if you don't, can't find your own and just hold them tight and pray them and reflect them back to God. And beginning today, something new can begin. You might have to have hard conversations at lunch with that spouse because it's been a mess in your life. And, the, and that intimacy and romance and passion hasn't been there. You need to have some hard conversations about how do we get back to that. You may be in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend and you need to go to lunch and have a hard conversation or set up a coffee this week and say, listen, things have got to change in this area because we're not doing it God's way and it ain't holy, right? All things new. The second thing is this, is don't blend in. If you're a student, especially in this room, there's going to be all kinds of ways and means and, and pressures and expectations. What if we were a community that were courageous enough to say, we're not going to blend in. We're going to do things differently. We're going to live differently. We're going to act differently. That's possible. We're crazy enough to believe that's possible. We don't have to live in marriages that are miserable, that are not physically intimate, that we don't have to blend into the marriages down our street and the people that work with us that are so miserable. We don't have to be that because in Christ, all things are new, so don't blend in. And I want to pray for you as well before we take communion together. And I want to ask you to just, in your own heart, ponder and have a conversation with God right now. Only you and God know what's going on in this area and this way in your life. But I want to pray for you, and I believe change is possible. All right, bow your heads with me, will you? Father, we come to you in this moment in the midst of a topic that is not always easy to discuss and not always easy to really work through. And God, we can't compartmentalize this. We can't say this isn't God's business because it is your business. You created it. You made it. You, have it. you have the correct intention. And God, I pray throughout this room, first of all, for students and singles. That are, that are getting bombarded with false information, with information that will potentially destroy them in this area. 
God, I pray that they would not blend in. I pray that they would stand out. I pray that they would not blend in, but that they would separate themselves. God, that they would be courageous in their stance of how they, of how they view themselves and how they view others in relationships they would be in, that they would treat them with tenderness, affirmation, and holiness. God, I pray for marriages in this room, that we'd be serious about upping the fire the passion, the romance, that we would be intentional, that we would get back to the pursuing the effort that we need to have. God, forgive us where we've missed it. Forgive us where we've been sloppy, where, we, where we've been dishonoring to you. And God, let today be a place of new beginnings in this part of our lives. God, we're grateful. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.